Happy Mother's Day. Looks like some of our moms got to stay in, sleep in late and, and uh, have uh, maybe a brunch. But um, we just really celebrate our moms. But we celebrate, uh, I think it's God's heart that we celebrate womanhood. You know, he created man, and he said it was good, and he created woman, and he said it is good. So uh, we just want to celebrate all of our women and uh, know that God is no respecter of persons, that uh, he uses all of us. And so uh, along with all you mothers today, happy Mother's Day, but along with all the women, old, young aunties, grandmothers, single mothers, um, young daughters, you know, we celebrate you because God celebrates you. Amen. This time we'd like to take up our offering as a part of worship. We like to give to the Lord as he's placed on your heart to give. Uh, and so uh, let's just pray over that offering right now. Thank you, Lord. Father, we just thank you for your goodness in our lives. Lord, we give to you uh, from a heart of thankfulness this morning and a heart that recognizes all good things come from you and come from your hand because you love us. Lord, we ask that you make us faithful stewards of what you give us. In Jesus' name, amen. First things I want to say is uh, it's good to have uh, our brother Bob Bergeron back with us um, after his mission trip three weeks this time. Um, that's a long time to be gone, isn't it, Giselle? Three and a half. <laughs> and how many hours? <laughs> but it appeared to be pretty successful, and I'm looking forward to us hearing uh, more uh, about it in the, in the weeks to come. So uh, looking forward to that, Bob. Welcome back. Before we dismiss the children this morning, um, I've asked our sister Liz if she would share a testimony with us. Uh, I believe it goes along with what I want to speak about in my message today, and I wanted to hear from one of the women in our midst and uh, just what God's uh, placed in, in her to, to share with us this morning. Yeah, they want to hear it. You can hear me, can't you? No. It's hard to hold the book. I'll hold it for you if you want. That's okay. So, good morning. Um, I'm not sure that it does go along with his message, but I was trying to decide several different, um, thank you, several different things that have happened to me. Should I share about when the Lord did something particularly small for my children or... 
while I was trying to figure out how to make a living or should I share something about Russia or should I share something? I didn't know. And then I thought about, well, most recently in 2012, I was at a place in my life where I didn't know how I was going to make it anymore financially. And out of the blue here at this church, somebody came up to me and offered me a, an opportunity that I would never have um, thought it would, number one, be something I would want to do, and number two, um, that I would be any good at, and that is teaching piano in a prison. <laughs> so I've had the great opportunity to be able to do that now since 2014, and I really, really enjoy it. It's been a great opportunity both for me. It, it's just the right opportunity at the right time, and I'm very thankful for that opportunity. Um, so then I was thinking about all of them, which one should I share about, and um, so I decided to share about all of them. <laughs> when I was um, in 2008 trying to make a living and not figuring, because I, I had never done that since I was like in my early 20s on my own, and so... Here I was driving down the road, taking my kids to the movies and thinking, wow, I really like to take them to the movies, but I want to teach them responsibility, you know. I have enough money to pay for this movie, but I don't want to. I want to teach them how to be responsible, and if they don't have enough money to go to the movies, then you can't go. And so we were driving down the road, and I was actually heading towards the theater, and I, something caught my eye. It was floating down out of the sky. Now, this is a true story. <laughs> so it was floating down out of the sky. And um, I said, what was that to Emily? And she goes, I don't know. And I said, well, maybe we better find out. So I pulled over to the side of the road, and I said, get out of the car and see what it is. She goes, oh, I don't want to. And I said, get out of the car and see what's out there. And so I, she got out of the car, and she walked over, and it was a $10 bill. <laughs> and with their money and the $10, they were able to go to the movies. <laughs> so thank you, Lord. I mean, that doesn't happen every day, but it just was a testimony to me, a very small thing, that a mother's heart would be blessed that her dad <laughs> in heaven would care about my children and I don't even remember what movie they saw, but anyway. So he has just provided for me miraculously over and over. Another one that I, I really wanted to share about was in 2010, I had been the head teacher of a school. And for financial reasons, within two weeks, after they did all the books and everything, they found out that there just wasn't enough money to continue that school. And I didn't have a job. And everybody else in the school miraculously got provided for. Just, it was amazing. Within two weeks, everybody that had been working to, at that school had someplace else to go that was even better financially for them than where they had been, except for one person, <laughs> and that was me. <laughs> and so I had tried and tried to figure out where to go and what to do, 
And I couldn't. And up until that time, maybe five weeks before that, I really felt like the Lord had spoken to me through a lot of people. Be still. Be still. Be still. And I didn't know why I had to be still until I got that news. And so I tried to be still and just wait, but it was a little bit like that. And um, they decided to keep the, um, one of the classes that had been part of the school and one of the teachers. And so I walked up to the hill to talk to this teacher to just say goodbye. And she said, you know what? I just don't feel like this job. I, I don't think this is my job. I don't think this is for me. And I didn't know what to say. And she said, I, I just feel like I need to move on. So I didn't say anything to anybody or to her or anything. I just let her make her own decision. And she walked into the office later on, I found out, and, and went ahead and quit. And so they offered me the job. And because of that job, then I was able to have a, a piano studio. I was able to teach kindergarten. And it just opened up a lot of opportunities for me. And conversely, later on, the job at the prison because I had a studio. So I just want to thank the Lord. You never know what can happen at any point in time. One of the songs the kids and I was I was teaching the kids is a cartoon. Um, it's a song you sing in the car. Get it? Cartoon. And it goes, I'm excited, I'm excited, I'm excited in the Lord. When you're walking with the Lord, you don't get bored. I would say that sometimes you can get really bored, and, but sometimes there's just those cliffhangers. So I'm very thankful, whether I lived in Russia or Latvia or in South America or in the United States, he's my father wherever I go. And he has blessed my family, and I'm... I don't get miracles every day, but I'm sure thankful for the times that I have. <laughs> Thank you. You know, you go to church with some pretty amazing people, and until you hear their stories, you may not know just how amazing they are, but you know, Liz does all of this stuff during the week, and then she still finds time to come and serve in our church and to impart the love of music to our children. And we're just so appreciate, uh, appreciative of, of you, Liz. And, uh, and uh, you're just amazing. And uh, we, as I said, we have some pretty amazing people in this church. Not perfect people, but amazing people. And... Uh, not people without struggles, not people without challenges, not people without a story that's still being written, but people that know a very real Jesus. And that is so wonderful. Let's just love on her a little bit more. And with that, she would like to take our children to music class.
You could go with Nona to music class and see. <clears throat> you know, as we listen to Liz's story and, and we think about our own lives, uh, you are a living epistle being written and read by all men. And in some cases, you are the best version of the gospel written for someone. I think in specific, mothers and your children and grandmothers and their grandchildren and aunts and their nieces and nephews and just all of that together, you are... Um, the best version of the gospel that they may receive in their lives. I remember my grandmother on my way to Alaska. I decided to move out of LA, go to Alaska, start a new life. I stopped and visited my grandmother on the way. She said to me, Mark, when are you gonna get married and settle down? And I said, well, grandma, someday when I meet somebody like you, she says, uh, you'll find him in church. <laughs> now, I didn't meet my wife in church, but it didn't take her long to drag me there. And for that, I am so grateful. But I think of my grandmother as probably one of the best representations of a living gospel to me. You know, we would stay with her in the summer, and she would send us to vacation Bible school. And uh, one of the things that would stand out to me was every time we would come home, she made the best carrot cake. And uh, she would have carrot cake available and prepared for us. And, and I remember my journey to Alaska was somewhat delayed by a week because I told her I wanted to take a carrot cake with me. And uh, she really took her time making that cake. I think she wanted us to stick around for a while. But being since Mother's Day, I want to um, celebrate, as I said earlier, not just mothers, but womanhood in general. Celebrate every lady, the single mom, the young lady, the married mom, the divorced mom, the grandmother, and celebrate what God has done when he said he made woman in his image, in his likeness, and he looked at her and said, it is good. And so with that in mind, I think it's good to draw from uh, women in scripture. And this morning, I want to uh, draw from the book of Esther. The Bible accounts show us uh, that we can draw a lot of wonderful examples of women in the Scripture.
But they're not just for women. They're, they're examples that, for, that are for all of us to see the hand and the nature of God at work. So, turn to the book of Esther, go to chapter 2. The story of Esther is about a young woman that shows us that someone who is born into a challenge life, someone who is marginalized, someone who is discriminated against, someone who is uh, given less opportunity than others, can still be used by a powerful God in a powerful way to literally save a race of people. So it's a, it's a powerful story. Esther's a young Jewish girl uh, who, through difficult circumstances in her life, is brought to become the queen of Persia. And she's brought to become the queen of Persia just in time to save her people from genocide. Um, this story, I think, could be used to come directly from the uh, headlines of our news today. It's a story of uh, extreme prejudice. It's a story of racism. It's a story of hate to the point of wiping out uh, an entire ethnic group. Secondly, it's uh, a story of a misogynistic approach to women. They are subjugated, they are objectified, they are used, and they are trafficked. And you can look at our, our headlines today and say, see that, wow, this is a message that's very relevant today. It's a story about politics over principles. It's a story about people who are trying to do the right thing in the middle of everything that's going wrong. And in this story, there's four main characters. There's Xerxes, who is the king of Persia. He's uh, recently banished his wife, divorced her, Vashti, because she didn't show up to his party after a three-day bender. He went on a three-day bender with all of his buddies and then he wanted his wife to come in. He called for his wife to come in so he could show off his wife, his trophy, uh, this beauty. She was a beautiful woman. And uh, he just wanted to show her off to all of his men friends. And she says, not going to do it. So we've got Xerxes, the king of Persia. We've got Vashti. Uh, a minor role, um, often she's looked at by scholars that look at these scriptures as a woman that was belligerent and disobedient and didn't want to obey her husband. But I don't believe that's the case at all. I believe she's a woman that decided, I'm not going to uh, 
let my husband portray me as something I'm not. And for that, she gets banished. All right. So we've got Xerxes, we've got Vashti, Vashti, we've got Mordecai. Mordecai's a Jew. He's Esther's older cousin who brought Esther. Her parents were both killed when she was young, and he brought her into his family and raised her as one of her own, one of his own. We've got Haman. He was one of King Xerxes' main men. He's power-hungry. He gets upset with the use of his power. There's one man that won't bend his knee to him and pay him homage. He gets upset with him, and because he's offended and upset with one, he's willing to wipe out the whole race to get to him. He's willing to destroy over his offense to get to this one person to make his point. You know, uh, to take a little diversion, uh, the other night we had a, a Bible study with a, a group of us guys just get together to share a meal and, and, and look at the Bible. And uh, we studied Psalm 51. And in Psalm 51, uh, and then I thought it was interesting, we went to a meeting um, Friday night in Anchorage, and uh, there was a, a black preacher. And the way I know he was a black preacher is he told us he's a black preacher. Uh, I would have known it without him telling me that, but it was good that he made that clear. Um, and he used Psalm 51 and the story of David, the, the Psalm 51 is the story of David and, and David's a disobedience and the taking of, of uh, help me out, Bob, somebody else's wife, and, uh, and sleeping with her, and he finds himself caught. Nathan the prophet comes and exposes him, and he finds himself caught now with a heart that has been separated from the joy of his salvation, from his uh, closeness with God. And so basically what uh, David had, he says, uh, create in me a clean heart, O God, in Psalm 51, and renew a right spirit within me. What David had was a heart problem. What so many times we as people have is a heart problem. Our heart, something happens and we separate, we, uh, we, we, we have a heart problem. This man brought out that the church in general has a heart problem. He was talking about holiness. Holiness is not the skirt's length that you wear or the hat that you wear or the way that you show up in church or what denomination you belong to. The problem with the church is a heart problem. David, as he cries out to God and he says, create in me a clean heart, a new heart, and renew a right spirit with, 
within me. He says, once that's done, as you read on down through chapter 51, once that's done, he says, then I can lead transgressors in the way. See, I think so often we want to correct the unbeliever. We want to correct the world. We want to show the world where their sin's at. And we haven't dealt with our own heart problems. And until we deal with who we are with God and get our hearts and a, a right spirit within us, uh, we cannot successfully lead transgressors in the way. We're giving them the wrong concept about God. Anyway, Haman was in this place. He had a heart problem. And he had a hatred for Mordecai. And we'll see a little bit more of that. So turn in your Bibles to the book of Esther, chapter 2. Haman was power hungry. He wanted position. He wanted acknowledgement. And, uh, and then the, the last person in this is Esther. In this, uh, story, Esther, a young girl living in exile from Jerusalem, her people had been taken by King Nebuchadnezzar to Persia and they were enslaved there and uh, they were in bondage there at one point in time. Many of them were released to go back to Jerusalem. But Esther, for whatever reason, um, she lost her parents when she was young and taken in by her elder cousin Mordecai into his family. They stayed in Persia. So here's Esther. She's young. She's lost her parents. She's a Jew in Persia. She's not enough Persian to be accepted. And she's not enough Jew to be accepted by her own people because the people that stayed in Persia that were Jews were looked down on by their own people that went back to Jerusalem as saying, what's wrong with you? She was facing constant discrimination from all sides. So the picture we get of Esther is here's this young girl who's facing enormous difficulties. All right, we get in the picture. She's facing enormous difficulties. You know, as we listen to the testimony of our sister Liz today, facing difficulties, facing challenges, yet she saw the hand of God working in her life. That's what we're going to see here in the book of Esther. So Esther's got enormous difficulties. She's orphaned. She's an outcast. I am grateful to God that he uses the most unlikely people. 
I'm grateful to God that he does not use us according to our pedigree. He does not look at your pedigree and say, oh, okay, you're, you made the cut. Okay, you're fourth and fifth generation Christian. You're, you're okay. You go to the right denomination. You're okay. He does not look at your pedigree. He looks at his pedigree, and his pedigree is this. Did you open your heart to Jesus Christ? And are you covered by his blood? That's the pedigree of God. The pedigree of God for you to be used in his kingdom is open your heart to Jesus Christ and be covered by his blood. I'm grateful that when it comes to God, anyone is a candidate to do something powerful and miraculous. <sighs> to the extent of Esther, we see a person who is in a very, as you view her life, a weak person a weakened position. But God shows himself strong in her life. It is God's strength, not your weakness, that should either enable you or disable you. It's God's strength that does it all. So here we are, Esther chapter 2. Um, we get the picture that um, Xerxes has decided to do away with Vashti. He divorced her, he put her away, he banished her, and uh, he... Uh, so let's go to uh, chapter two, verse one. But after Xerxes' angered and anger, after Xerxes' anger had subsided, he began thinking about Vashti and what she had done and the decree he had made. So his personal attendant suggested, "Let us search the empire to find beautiful young virgins for the king. Let the king appoint agents in each province to bring these beautiful young women into the royal harem at the fortress of Susa." Haggai, the king's eunuch in charge of the harem, will see that they are all given beauty treatments. After that, the young woman, the young woman who most pleases the king, will be made queen instead of Vashti. The advice was very appealing to the king, so he put the plan into effect. Now, we have to also recognize that just before this took place, uh, when they the king was displeased with Vashti, he decided to legislate what women could do. All of his, his men got together and said, uh, this isn't a good thing, what your wife did, so it might cause other women to do the same thing. And we don't want that to happen, so let's legislate that, uh, that this can't happen. So that's where he exiled 
uh, or banished Vashti. And so that's what's been in play because the men were saying, what if, what if other wives decide to rise up? What are we going to do? Now, I know you can take that in a couple different ways here. But we're looking at God's way. Oh, where am I? Xerxes looking for a new king. A new queen. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so they send out a call across the land to find beautiful young women and bring them into the royal harem at the fortress of Susa. I mean, these women were just literally taken out of their situation and put in another situation, much like sex trafficking today, all right? They had no choice. They were just captured and taken. This advice was very appealing to the king, so he put the plan into effect. At that time, there was a Jewish man in the fortress of Susa whose name was Mordecai, son of Jair. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. He was a descendant of Kish and Shimei. His family had been among those who, with King Jehoiakim of Judah, had been exiled from Jerusalem to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. This man had a very beautiful and lovely cousin, Hadassah, who was also called Esther. And when her father and mother died, Mordecai adopted her into his family and raised her as her, his own daughter. As a result of the king's decree, Esther, along with many other young women, was brought to the king's harem at the fortress of Susa and placed in Haggai's care. Haggai's Haggai was very impressed with Esther and treated her kindly. He quickly ordered a special menu for her, provided her with beauty treatments. He also assigned her seven maids, especially chosen from the king's palace, and he moved her and her maids into the best place in the harem. Esther had not told anyone of her nationality. That's an important po point to uh, remember. Um, and family background, because Mordecai had directed her not to do so. Every day, Mordecai would take a walk near the courtyard and the harem to find out about Esther and what was happening to her. Before each young woman was taken to the king's bed, she was given prescri uh, uh, the prescribed 12 months of beauty treatment, six months with oil and myrrh, followed by six months with special perfumes and ointments, when it was time for her to go to the king's place, she was given her choice of whatever clothing or jewelry she wanted to take from the harem. That evening, she was taken to the king's private rooms, and the next morning she was brought to the second harem, where the king's wives lived. There she would be under the care of Shazgaz. I like that name. Shazgaz. The king's eunuch in charge of the concubines. She would never go to the king again unless he had especially enjoyed her and requested her by name. Wow. 
As I said, it was a very misogynistic society. It's a lot like that in, in our nation today. Women are objectified. Women are used. It's a lot worse in other nations. We, we live in a very uh, good nation. But it still happens. It's still there. And what can be done about it? All right. So... Over in chapter 4, verse 1, let's look at that. Esther is taken before the king. He finds her extremely appealing, and really she wins his favor. She wins his heart. And uh, in the midst of this, the power play is Haman, one individual who wants to get at Mordecai, and the only way he can get at Mordecai is to literally annihilate all the Jews. So he works with the king to set up a, a law that all Jews should be killed. And you see God's hand at work in all of this. Uh, how God spares his people. Esther, uh, Mordecai finds out about the um, plan, and he appeals to Esther, you need to go before the king. You need to go before Xerxes, make a request. And she says, I, anybody that goes before the king without being called for and if he does not point his scepter to you, you are put to death. And Mordecai says, yes, but you need to do this. And I suggest you all read the book of Esther sometime in your week. You need to do this. Esther comes back with this. Have all the people fast and pray for three days. And I will do the same. And so she and all of her uh, entourage that was there to serve with her, all of, all of her handmaidens, did the same. They all fasted for three days. I find that interesting. You see, fasting is a very important thing. Fasting and prayer breaks strongholds. Now, this stronghold was one to annihilate an entire group of people. And she asked, fast for me. And as the story goes on, she does go before the king. She makes a request to Xerxes, and he says, whatever it is, up to half my kingdom, up to half my kingdom, whatever it is, I'll give to you. And she does something very wise. She says, well, tomorrow come to a special dinner I've prepared for you, and I'll tell you. And so he's honored as the king that his wife, his queen, would want to do this for him. And she says, 
bring Haman along with you. And so Haman now is even more thrilled because he's getting even greater elevation in his offended, in his twisted, in his hatred, in all that he has going on in his heart. In the midst of it, it appears that he's getting elevated. And he's pretty happy about it. So they come to dinner, and the king says to Queen Esther, whatever it is up to half my kingdom, it's yours. And she says, well, I'd like you to come to one more dinner, and then I'll tell you. It's a great story. So, and bring Haman with you. And Haman had made plans. He'd built a, a 70-foot pole sharpened on the end that he wanted to skewer Mordecai on. That was his plan. Publicly humiliate uh, this man that would not honor him. In the midst of this, God reminds uh, Xerxes can't sleep one night, and he says, bring out the books of the law, bring out the chronicles of the, our history and read them to me. And he hears about this guy Mordecai, who had saved him from a plot of assassination plot, and he says, what was ever done for this guy? Now, it, look at all these pieces being put together. He says, what, what, what did we ever do for this guy? And they, they looked and they said, nothing. So Haman, one of his main advisors, he says, what should be done for a guy that the king wants to really honor, who's done something for the king uh, and for, for the preservation of, the, of, of my life and for the king? What should be done for this man? Haman's thinking it's for himself. And he goes, oh, he should be given a, a purple robe, a royal robe. He should be put on a king, the king's horse. He should be taken through the streets and, and, and shouted about what a great man he is and, and uh, really honor him. And all of these things should be done for him. And the king looks, King Xerxes looks at Haman, who's thinking that he's just proclaimed all the things that are going to happen to himself. And he says, that's good. Go do that for Mordecai. Haman now has to do that for the guy that he hates the most. I see the hand of God. The hand of God will always lift up the oppressed. The hand of God will always deliver those that are in bondage. The hand of God will always work on behalf of bringing about his purpose. And his purpose is to set the captives free, to lift up the oppressed, and to deliver us out of bondage. <clears throat> I lost my place. If I can reclaim it. Yeah. Well, we're going to back up. <clears throat> what I see in this story in God using this young woman 
Esther. It's not a story of someone who was powerless getting power. Because in reality, she never really had any power. At any given moment, her life could be banished and put away. So it's not a story of the powerless getting power. It's the story of the powerless being used by an all-powerful God. The book of Esther has often been debated by scholars and uh, people much greater than me that decide to discuss these things, um, whether the book of Esther should have been included in the Bible. Because it does not one time mention God. Should there be a book in the Bible that one time does not mention God by name? And yet, although it does not mention God by name, you see his hand completely throughout all of it. And the fact that it is included in this, I believe God intended it to be there. So I, in my mind, the debate's over. <clears throat> but it's a story about the powerless getting, uh, not getting power, but being used by an all-powerful God. That's the story of your life and my life. You see, often if we have not, and we all continue to work with our heart condition, if our hearts are still not completely surrendered to Christ, and I have been surrendered to Christ for a long time, and I still have a lot of heart conditions to deal with all the time. <clears throat> so I think if God were to give me power, I'd probably abuse it. If all of a sudden you were taken out of your circumstance at your job, and think of the people you work with. And all of a sudden you were given supreme power over that organization. You might abuse it. Because there's some people in there you'd probably like to uh, remove. Or our nation. You know, or if, if God made me supreme ruler of the earth. That'd be pretty cool. I'd like to think, yeah, I'd rule pretty, you know, justly. No, I wouldn't. Be careful what you're looking for. Esther was not looking for power. But she was used by an all-powerful God to do very powerful, miraculous things that saved a nation of people, saved a race of people. God is writing your story. Right now, he's writing your story. Quit taking the pen out of his hand. 
and trying to work it your way. He prefers you to remain in a place of allowing him to write your story. Does that mean we don't have a responsibility? Absolutely not. We have a responsibility to pursue every avenue of gifting that God has given us. If you're good at your job, pursue it. It says, do it as unto the Lord. But it's about not being limited by our weakness. But allowing to, for God to show himself strong. You know, there's a, I heard this little bit, I think it fits. The other night we heard the statement, keep your eyes on the fruit, not on the giants. Speaking about when they were going into the promised land, all of them went and they said, whoa, the grapes are as big as grapefruits. The fruit there is fantastic. The land is flowing with milk and honey. The land is just great. It's wonderful. And uh, they came back with a report of how wonderful it was. And all but two said, yes, but there's giants in the land. There's giants in the land. We can't go in. But two of them didn't see the giants. They saw the fruit. Esther didn't see the giants. She saw, my life is worth risking for the fruit that can be had. Because she said in that, though I may die, I'm willing to do this. Very important point. Her life was on the line. I think it's a powerful story of how God uses his creation, the creation of woman, to accomplish powerful, miraculous things and to change a nation. Somebody can say, okay, amen, I agree. At least the women should agree. Some of you men may be conflicted. What's he saying that my wife can no longer, has to no longer do everything I tell her? It's not about our, our weakness that limits us. Never be limited by your weakness. But it's about a God who's writing your story. Let him write it. Mothers, daughters, grandmothers, every woman in here, God is writing your story. And it's a powerful story. And you have a tremendous influence on our next generation and the generation that we presently live in. Never consider yourself weak 
and saying, I cannot influence my world. But look at God's strength and allow him to write your story. Amen. Let's all stand. Do we have a song? As morning dawns and evening fades, you inspire songs of praise that rise from earth to touch your heart and glorify your name. Your name is a strong and mighty tower. Your name is a shelter like no other. Your name, let the nation sing it louder. Cause nothing has the power to save but your name. Your name. Sing out Jesus in your name we pray. Jesus, in your name we pray, come and fill our hearts today, Lord, give us strength to live for you, and glorify your name, your name, is a strong and mighty tower, your name. A shelter like no other, your name. Let the nation sing it louder, cause nothing has the power to save. Your name is a strong and mighty tower, your name is a shelter like no other, your name. Let the nation sing it louder, cause nothing has the power to say but your name. Your name. There is joy in His name. Salvation in His name. Sing out your name. Your name is a strong and mighty tower. Your name is a shelter like no other. Your name, let the nation sing it louder. Cause nothing has the power to say but your name. Your name. strong and mighty tell your name. Amen. Happy Mother's Day to all you moms. We have a, a gift for every woman, young and old, of a plant back there. 
be sure and take one with you. It's, it's a plant that will continue to grow, and I hope it will remind you that God is writing your story. And uh, you're, a living, you're a living epistle being re read, being written and read by all of those that you come in contact with. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Enjoy it. Uh, take advantage of it to the full extent. God bless.